Welcome to episode number two of Riskology, where we seek to have conversation around important risk management and insurance topics. I'm your host, Corbin Jackson. Thanks for joining. Now, before I welcome our guest today, I would like to mention that the ideas and opinions I share on this show are mine alone and not to reflect in any way on my employer. Joining us on the show today is Becky Robinson, the risk manager for Hobby Lobby. She has 27 plus years of risk management experience at Hobby Lobby, presented at numerous industry events, including the National REMS Conference, and appeared in multiple articles, including being featured in Business Insurance Magazine. In this episode, we gain insight into her background, Hobby Lobby's insurance program, the importance of taking an active role in legislation, and the greatest lesson she has learned while managing risk. Welcome, Becky Robinson. I appreciate you being on the show today and taking time to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it, Corbin. Absolutely. I think we met a couple of years ago at a RIMS meeting, a local chapter meeting here, and I've just enjoyed getting to know you over the past few years and, and hearing your perspective on things at RIMS chapter events and, and other events as well. Um, so I appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks. I, I love going to the RIMS events. I just don't have a lot of time for it these days, but I do enjoy the luncheons and the uh, networking as well. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your background, how you got involved in risk management and insurance. So I always tell people it's by chance. Okay. Um, I was uh, actually a student full-time working for an accounting firm that did the uh, audit work for Hobby Lobby and um, uh, was working actually two jobs um, and going to school part-time. <clears throat> Um, they, uh, Hobby Lobby was looking for a way to manage their workers' comp program. Um, they were in assigned risk pools, which uh, for those that don't know that, means that their uh, overall risk couldn't be insured. And so they were in all these assigned pools. And so they were looking for opportunities to really manage that and um, uh, looked to me to actually establish their workers' comp program back in 1992. So I came to Hobby. Um, took on the workers' comp piece. We structured the program more from a customer service side to align with Hobby Lobby's mission, if you will. Um, Look at the uh, employees as more of a um, resource for the company, right, and taking care of the employees. And so um, from that perspective, the department was really developed as an employee advocate for workers' comp, and it's expanded from there. So um, finished school, got my finance degree from UCO, Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, went on to my MBA, but circumstances um, happened, and so I actually didn't finish the MBA at UCO. But okay. Yeah. So since 1992, you've you've seen a lot transpire over the years, and really developed the risk management program here at Hobby Lobby. Can you give us an idea of the scope and size of Hobby Lobby as an organization? I mean, I I see the trucks drive around all the time and and here in Oklahoma City. So if you could just elaborate on that a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah. So the the program's uh, massive. Certainly when I started, we had just 42 store locations. We were down the street in a small little warehouse. Um, I think we had uh, two warehouses at the time. Um, We are now uh, over 10 million square feet in the state of Oklahoma at this this campus here, <clears throat> having one distribution center that services um, nearly 900 Hobby Lobby locations. Wow. 
Um, so we are the largest uh, uh, single employer under uh, one um, uh, single-story square roof, if you will. Um, we have multiple buildings here. We have e-commerce here. We have manufacturing here. Uh, we have a construction division, a transportation division. Um, what, what I've learned from Hobby over the years is we like to, if we can do something better, um, then we'll do it internally. We'll, you know, take that, that um, task on, like different products or things like that that uh, we've manufactured from time to time. Um, and it, it provides more of an opportunity to work closely with the vendors and um, work with the employees. So uh, with that, it's been um, such a tremendous growth from, you know, 42 locations to 900. Right. Um, and we have a, a quite a bit a large risk management program to kind of accommodate that. We've taken some claims in-house and things like that. So, Okay. How would you say risk management impacts company culture? Um, you know, it depends on the risk tolerance and um, uh, the um, ability for a, a company to um, what level of involvement they want with risk. We take the um, um, perspective of customer service. And so with that, we've pulled away from a lot of our vendors and handled things internally. So we handle like some workers' comp claims in-house. Uh, we handle all of our liability claims in-house. <clears throat> uh, and that gives us the opportunity to um, further Hobby Lobby's uh, reputation from a customer service standpoint. A lot of companies um, in my industry are um, not privately held, um, but because we are, we, we have a lot of opportunity to um, foster um, the, the uh, leader's mission down to um, our role as well in risk management. And so we always want to leave, for example, like the customer, we want to leave the customer with a good experience at Hobby. Um, we may deny a claim, but we may give them a gift card or something to that right. aspect. Okay. Does that affect safety culture with regard to employees? Yeah, for sure. So within my department, we have a safety division. We have three divisions in in my department, we have the occupational injury, which is the work comp, and then the liability, uh, and then we have safety as well. We also have a, a staff attorney on site uh, within risk management. But the safety um, plays a, a broader role. We have different exposures with the campus. We have roughly 6,500 employees, so the safety is geared towards what the campus does, you know, from a distribution center, manufacturing, and what have you. At the store level, we do. Um, mandatory training before employees start their position. We have uh, video computer-based uh, learning training so that we can capture the employee's personnel number and make sure that we are doing um, the level of training based on you know what the store needs. And if there's additional required training or state-specific training, if you will, we can control that um, by having our safety person kind of oversee all of that. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, and I've just heard from just an outside perspective, uh, the culture at Hobby is, you know, really well done and, and really well managed. So We have great leadership. I mean, I, I, my boss is a prime example of that, and, of course, the Greens. Um, you know, they uh, have supported a lot of our initiatives here in risk and um, uh, have given us uh, some faith and support in some of those initiatives that might be a little bit different for other retailers. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So over the years, there's been a lot of change as far as different risk exposures, mm -hmm. especially in the retail industry with cyber and other things like that. 
How have you stayed on top of managing those up-and-coming emerging risks, and what are some ways that you do to educate yourself to learn more about those? I mean, everything's changing from day to day. Um, we only recently got into the cyber risk um, um, program, if you will, about three years ago. Uh, we've looked at it from time to time, but um, really, I don't know, it, there was a lot of work in the application and, and at a time when cyber was pretty expensive, um, but it's been very uh, competitive now. And, and uh, quite honestly, with respect to the cyber, it was really initiated by our CIO um, and uh, some of the um, education that she'd been receiving and some of the needs that she wanted to uh, ensure that we had protection over. So um, I'll, I will get some of that information from other leaders within the organization, but in order to just kind of stay abreast and make sure that I'm um, doing what I need to do on behalf of the company. Um, my education is through like the periodicals and email communication. I also participate in some benchmark um, studies with uh, um, some of our brokers. Um, but over the years, I've developed really great friendships with my peers. So, you know, I can bounce things off other risk managers in larger areas um, like Dallas or New York and those areas that, you know, that might have different exposures than we would from, or, or maybe some different um, uh, um, considerations that we might not be looking at from an Oklahoma perspective. Right. So I really think my peers um, have been probably my best resource and then the benchmarking. Um, but okay. you know, the periodicals, we subscribe to a lot of different articles. Um, it's kind of hard to stay on top of all of that, but when it's an area of concern, I mean, you're getting hit, you know, on a regular basis about it. And so, um, we'll uh, pick up on it from there. And then the carriers, anytime there's a policy form change, I really try to stay engaged in that process and make sure that uh, we're not missing any, uh, or we don't have any gaps in coverage, if you will. Um, every time there's a, a new cat exposure or right. you know the hurricanes that come through, there, you'll see a little bit of wording changes in the policy. So you uh, really just need to kind of stay up and, and understand that, make sure that uh, uh, when those issues arise that you understand what your your coverage is so a lot of different resources but um yeah it's just a, it's a constant thing to stay up engaged in yeah absolutely so it seems primarily just building that network of mentors or um, experts around you or other peers in the industry from a risk management standpoint is important yeah um, from you mentioned the CIO earlier mm -hmm. when implementing the cyber program for those that might be listening that are looking to do the same how important is it is that communication between the technology department and the risk management department when you're putting a program like that together huge okay <laughs> huge yeah I uh, there's a lot of terminology I don't understand you know right. um, uh, we we've had uh, roundtables and discussions with the underwriters and um, I'll bring my CIO in, and I take diligent notes so I can, you know, follow up on some uh, terminology that I'm not familiar with so that, you know, if there are exclusions in the policy or maybe we're getting some additional coverages, I want to make sure it fits her needs. Um, and uh, so it's, it's really um, significant to, to have those relationships with other leaders so that you're getting the protection that, that they're desiring. Right, yeah. okay. And understanding that risk. I mean, it, you know, I'm... I'm so insurance focused and claims. I understand that like the back of my hand, but uh, the IT component is a, is a lot more uh, um, unique to just, just it's a whole different group. language, yeah, right? It is, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how you mentioned that 
your background's really in claims and, and workers' comp side as well. And, and I know you've been involved from a legislative standpoint um, a little bit on, on that side of things. Could you explain uh, how important it is to um, for an employer to be involved from a legislative standpoint? Oh, yeah. You know, I think um, more than anything, the uh, risk department needs to understand what the uh, potential changes are that are coming down. Uh, we subscribe to a lot of different um, uh, newsletters and a lot of attorneys keep us engaged on different legislative actions um, on a national scale. Um, but I, I do think it's involved at least to have that, that knowledge so that when you're preparing your, uh, your budget and establishing uh, your incurred but not reported uh, numbers, that you know what the impact's going to be. So if there's an increase in TTD rates or uh, Florida, they were pushing uh, the or removing all the limitations on attorney fees, that's going to increase that claims cost. And so you need to be able to articulate that. And uh, when you have auditors that come in, you need to understand that. Um, for me, it was really important in Oklahoma to be engaged because Oklahoma is our largest exposure from a claims perspective in comp. Um, Oklahoma's been really challenging. It's been one of the most difficult states. At one time, it was even worse than California for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so when there was an opportunity to uh, partner with a couple of other companies um, and make a, uh, or have an initiative to improve the system, we weren't really looking to do um, um, a major change in the beginning. Uh, we were just looking for opportunities to really kind of curb those losses and stop the surgeries. The biggest issue that, that um, I think employers need to be aware of is the medical cost and uh, potential um, over-treatment. Um, you know, I, I speak pretty firmly about how I think employees are our biggest asset. And if you have an employee that's, you know, 20, 25 years old and they're getting a back surgery, where is that employee going to be, you know, five years down the road? And um, how intense is that surgery going to be? So we really look for conservative treatment, more from the standpoint of our workforce and the betterment of that employee, because the, the surgeries really take its toll. And um, so that's one of the reasons we were um, pretty much engaged in the, in the work comp process, is to really understand the numbers and really understand our workforce um, and uh, the impact that it would have. So I think it's hugely important to um, at least know what's going on so that you can prepare for it and allocate the cost appropriately. Well, that's great information. I appreciate that. Earlier on, you mentioned when staying on top of emerging risks, how um, important insurance brokers are in, in that process and to be able to provide information from that perspective. Uh, from your standpoint and perspective, how important is the insurance broker relationship and, and how does that intertwine or integrate with your risk management program here? I think the relationship is hugely important. Um, we've used our broker to help connect us with other peers, you know, um, to allow us to do those benchmarking. And, and two of the brokers we work with um, uh, do formal benchmarking where they bring the groups together um, and allow us to really talk about our risk um, independent of the brokers. So they'll actually step out of the hall or step out of the, the meeting area, the meeting space, and allow that to happen. Um, that's huge. Uh, they're also seeing, um, uh, they can give you the market perspective. Um, certainly you can, you know, use the, the articles, but they're, they're much more specific on your industry. Um, and we, we rely on our brokers to provide some benchmarking information, what they're seeing in our industry. Um, 
And I think the, the closer you are with the, your broker, they're working directly with the underwriters. If you don't have that relationship with the underwriter, the broker tells your story. Um, and so you really need to be engaged in that process and bringing the underwriter up there and making sure that the broker and the underwriter are uh, uh, just as knowledgeable um, as, as you want them to be. So, you know, so that you can tell your story, have the broker, you know, supplement um, in comparison with what they're seeing right. in the industry. So Making yeah. sure everyone's on the same page, right? It's right? mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Uh, how would you say the industry can better promote itself to the younger generations? Uh, RIMS does a really great job on NextGen. Um, so they reach out to um, uh, a lot of the young people that are coming out of school and uh, really trying to encourage them and, and help them in um, some additional um, accreditations, if you will, and then also providing they do an annual conference. Um, that's really great for those who know they want to be in risk. Um, certainly I didn't know that at the time. I mean, my, my major was economics until I um, got into hobby and then switched to finance and finished my degree. But um, a lot of people that are in the industry now are in it by chance. That, that was not their focus. It was not their intention. Um, there are a lot of programs out there uh, in risk management that, like UCO, has a great risk management program, and um, there's uh, there's significant differences too in different colleges and what risk means to them. Right. You know, OU has the financial risk, um, whereas uh, the casualty property, the PNC component, is really better at UCO. Um, but I think really from employee or uh, the uh, generation coming up. Um, shadowing, doing intern opportunities, just meeting and talking with different employers and understanding that, um, you know, there's, it's, you can go in so many different directions with risk management. I mean, from our perspective, you can do claims, you can do insurance. Uh, there's also so many vendor partners um, that support risk management. So you can just move from one area to the next. And I've seen it over the years where, you know, you might start in risk management for a an organization and then you end up on the broker side or the underwriter side and may be a vendor partner um, you know there's a lot of bill review case management those kinds of things so many people support the insurance industry that it's really um, a, a wealth of, of opportunities for um, kids that are getting out of school so um, really just exposure yeah you know absolutely and I think I think that's a really good point that more people should consider as well as you know, some of the best brokers I know have been claims adjusters and yeah. underwriters, and they've seen a variety of roles within the industry, and I think that really helps them with whatever their final role is as, as they pick a, you know, a career, long-term career. Yeah, I agree, and I think it gives a different perspective. You know, um, my client executive, um, she was in the claims industry as well, and um, she's since retired, but she brought a, a, a great perspective because that was really our focus is really from a casualty perspective because we have so many employees nationally. How do we manage that risk? Right. So having that insight is really huge. Yeah. So from a risk management standpoint, mm-hmm. what's the greatest lesson you've learned? <laughs> um, humility. You know, you don't know everything all the time. And um, just to be able to recognize that every day is a new day and you, you know, you're going to learn something new. I mean, um, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen a lot, learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. Um, but, uh, really, um, I think it's, it's important to maintain that humility because, you know, that's, uh, you're, you're not going to get very far if you don't acknowledge that you're not, you don't know everything. Um, the, probably the, the, best experience I've had is just 
working for a company like Hobby, um, the great leadership and support that we've had over the years and the encouragement um, uh, has been huge for me and allowing the, the department to grow and really establish, you know, um, some different, um, I don't know what I did up here, establish some different um, uh, roles within risk. Um, it's, you've really got to find your place though, you know. Um, hobby isn't for everybody. It's, you know, there's other companies that um, might fit somebody's needs a little bit better, but um, it's been a great career opportunity for me and a great, a great team that we have here. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall, I think just through the years that, that uh, I put a lot of perspective since I've been here, you know, 27 years, that um, I just need to make sure that I check myself, right. you know, when I come in yeah. and, and respect that I have a lot of people that work for us that do a fantastic job and they make us look good. So humility. That's great. That's great. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time today on the interview. I'm sure it'll be valuable to a lot of the listeners out there. I know it was valuable to me. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it, Corbin.